Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus chapter number 15, the book of Exodus and chapter number 15. And if you found your place, let's stand together out of respect for the reading of God's word. Exodus chapter 15, and let's stand together out of respect for the reading of the word of God. We're going to read verse number one down to verse number 14. Exodus chapter number 15, verse one down to verse 14. And we are slowly but surely working our way through the book of Exodus on Sunday evenings. It's been a fun study in which much about God's redemptive plan for the children of Israel and by, by way of redeeming them from, from slavery, His redemptive plan for us, right? Israel is that great illustration of how God set us free from the Pharaoh of sin, right? Not just from the Pharaoh of Egypt. And so that's what's happening here. And of course, we covered the last few weeks. Last week, we spent time for the Lord's Supper, but the week before that, uh, we spent time studying that, that actual crossing of the Red Sea. In fact, Brother Hagera did a lot of work for us on that chapter, the crossing of the Red Sea, the power that God used in order to deliver the children of Israel across the Red Sea. So now, verse chapter 15, they are across. So verse number 29 of chapter 14, but the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. Because this is a very important principle. The Lord saved Israel that day. And because of the salvation that God has given to Israel... That prompts a response in Israel. The Lord saves, and now Israel sings. Chapter 15, verse number 1. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. And here's his song. The horse and his rider hath he thrown down into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. I mean, sometimes the Bible alliterates the sermon for you. The Lord is three things. Look at verse 2. He's strength. He's song. He's salvation. Do you see that? You say, Pastor, why do preachers always alliterate their verses and their points? God even did that in verse number two, okay? That's Sunday night humor. That's about as good as it gets on Sunday night. So if you don't laugh at that, then you're not going to laughing for the rest of the evening, okay? So here's what he says. He is my God, and I will prepare him in habitation. Isn't that interesting? He is my God, and I will prepare him, my God, in habitation. My Father's God, and I will exalt Him. The Lord is a man of war, and the Lord is His name. In that verse, verse number 3, the Lord is a man of war. 
that phrase, how it's actually written is, the Lord is war. That's actually how it's spelled out in the original. So literally, that's Moses saying, the Lord is a warrior. You think of all the wonderful images in the Bible about the Lord. The Lord is my, what is it? Shepherd, Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is truth. The Lord is light. The Lord is peace. Well, have you ever thought of this? The Lord is my warrior. That he is fighting for us. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Who did he defeat? With Pharaoh's chariots. And his host hath he cast into the sea. His chosen captains are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. And they sank into the and they sank to the bottom as a stone. The right hand, O Lord, or, or thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed pieces of the enemy. Now, now think of this. This is Israel's first song. Think of putting this to a rhythm right now. How difficult would it be to find a rhythm that you could lay this to, that you could actually sing, right? This is what they're singing. Look at verse number seven. In the, in, in the greatness of thine excellency, thou hast overthrown them that rose up against thee. Thou sentest forth thy wrath, which consumed them as stubble. And this is a wonderful, this is, this is great. The most powerful country in the world. The most powerful, most formidable army ever assembled is nothing but Stubble to God. It's, it's, it's just like uh, when you go to start a fire, and you know how when you're, you're beginning to put a fire together, you pick up some leaves and some twigs, you find some dead grass, and you put that on the fire first so that it's, it's kindling to the fire, right? So that the fire burns quickly. This is Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen, and they're stubble to God. It's nothing to him. He burns through them that fast. Verse 8. And with the blast of thy nostrils, the, the waters were gathered together. The, the floods stood upright as a heap, and the depths were congealed in the heart of the sea. And the enemy said, I will pursue, and I will take over, and I will overtake, and I will divide the spoil. And my lust shall be satisfied upon them. And I will draw my sword. And mine hand shall destroy them. So thou didst blow with thy wind. And the sea covered them. And they sank as lead in the mighty waters. Who is like unto thee, O Lord? What a great question. Who is like our God? Well, who is like thee, O Lord, among the gods? And who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises and doing wonders. Thou stretchest out thy right hand and the earth, and uh, thou stretchest out thy right hand, the earth swallowed them. And in thy mercy hast thou led forth the people which thou hast redeemed. Thou hast guided them in thy strength unto the holy habitation. In verse 14, and the people hear and be afraid. And sorrow shall take hold on the, habitants, uh, on, the, on the inhabitants of Palestine, 
And the dukes of Edom shall be amazed, and the mighty men of Moab, trembling, shall take hold upon them. And all, listen to it, and all the inhabitants of Canaan shall melt away. What is the very first song that Israel sings? This is the first recorded song from the nation of Israel. What is the very first song Israel sings? They sing a song about how God redeemed them, set them free from Pharaoh, the most formidable force in the world at that time. How God redeemed them, set them free from him, but also how God is securing for them their future. This is not just what God has done for them in the past. This is a song about God, what God is doing for them in their future. And all the inhabitants of Canaan shall melt away. Man, what do we learn about our God and about the nature of our worship and praise to our God from this very first recorded song? That's what we'll study here this, this evening. Our Heavenly Father... Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit would say to us. Use your word in our lives, and in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, amen. amen. Three points then. Three points to follow in our outline. We'll move through it quickly, Lord willing. Number one, God causes Israel to sing. Number one, God causes Israel to sing. There is a direct correlation between what God has done for Israel and what Israel does in response to all that God has done. Look at verse number 30 of Exodus chapter 14. Thus the Lord saved and then sang Moses. Look over at verse 21. We didn't read it just for our time, uh, for time's sake, but look at verse 21 of chapter 15. Look at verse 21. And Miriam answered, so Miriam is Moses' sister, and Miriam answered, answered them, Sing ye to the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. So there is a direct correlation between what God has done and what is it that God did. God saved. And now what Israel is doing. And what does Israel do? Because God has saved, Israel sings. They sing because the Lord saved. They sing because the Lord saved. And this is, this is amazing because sometimes we can read a chapter or a verse or even a story like the crossing of the Red Sea, and it's easy for us to, to almost read it abstract, right? Where, where we read about the events, but they don't, really, they don't really resonate in our hearts. But you must remember where Israel was. They were slaves for 400 years. And God did the plagues and the signs and the wonders on Egypt, but Pharaoh refused to let them go. The death angel visits, and whichever household had applied blood, man, they were spared. And whatever household did not apply the blood of that lamb, they lost their firstborn. And so Pharaoh decides to let the children of Israel go. The children of Israel are set free. Pharaoh has a change of heart. He begins to run them down, and they find themselves cornered. Between the Red Sea, two mountains on either side, and here comes Pharaoh and his armies. 
This is like SEAL Team 6. And here they come raining down on Israel, and Israel has nowhere to go. And so what does Israel do when they're between a rock and a hard place? They do the same thing that you and I do. They complain against God. Well, the only reason you brought us out here was because there weren't enough graves in Egypt. That's why you brought us here. And yet, God shows himself strong for Israel in spite of their grumbling, in spite of their complaining. How many of you are glad that God is merciful to you even though you grumble against him, right? Man, my hand's up. And yet, this is what God does for Israel. God then parts the Red Sea, and the story, as laid for us in Scripture, is that the walls of water go up on both sides, the, the ground is dry, and all of Israel crosses over. And Pharaoh, and his horsemen, and his chariots, and filled with rage, overcome with self-centeredness and sinfulness, and we talked about this, sin makes us Right? Sin causes us to make stupid decisions. And so Pharaoh rides his chariot right down into the middle of the sea. And immediately the ground becomes, uh, becomes mud and, 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 and it congeals, the Bible says, in the wheels. It slows down the chariots so that the children of Israel are cross. Pharaoh and his men are stuck. And then God closes the water of the Red Sea down on to Pharaoh and the armies of the Egyptians. And all of the Israelites are on this side, and there are no more of the Egyptians. And the Israelites look down into the sea. And what is the response? Now, that's where we're headed. What is the response? The response is they sing unto the Lord. The response is they sing. They sing because God saves. God's people are a singing people. God's people are a singing people. James chapter 5, verse number 13. Is any merry? Is any happy? Is anyone cheerful? Is, is anyone joyful? Is any married? Then what does it say? Let him what? Let him sing. Let him sing. Singing is the response to the goodness, greatness, and nature of our God. Think of this. Where in our culture do you find ordinary, untrained people gathering together to sing? I can think of a few events, right? The national anthem, that's, that's one. Hey, generally speaking, there are several people who would sing the national anthem. Uh, maybe uh, uh, your particular school, they maybe had a, they had a fight song. So if your team is victorious on, on the athletic field, then you might have this fight song that everyone sings. Okay, that, that might be one. The seventh inning stretch, that's another one, right? Uh, a happy birthday. They sang happy birthday for me at my house this past week. It was the worst rendition of happy birthday I've ever heard in my life. The slowest, the slowest happy birthday. It went like this. Let's sing happy birthday. They were so excited. Let's sing happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. I'm, I'm going I'm to have another birthday by the time you get done with this song, happy birthday, right? You can think, you could generally think of about a handful of times where ordinary, untrained people come together to sing, but it is nothing like what happens inside of a church, is it? 
where regularly, inside of the routine and inside of the schedule, you have ordinary people coming together not to be entertained by singers, but to join with those singers in song about how good and great our God is. There are many ways in which Christians are peculiar people, and I happen to believe that Christians getting together to sing together is one of the ways in which we are most peculiar, because it just doesn't happen very often. There's not very many settings in which you walk into, or which I walk into, where untrained, ordinary adults get together to sing for 10 or 15 or 20 minutes where they sing to the Lord songs together. And yet, what you'll find in the Bible is you'll find God's people singing over and over and over again. Here you find Moses, you find Miriam, you have Deborah, you have Barak, you have David, obviously, who sings. You have Hannah in the Old Testament who sings. You have an entire book, the largest book in the Old Testament, that is dedicated to nothing but songs. It's 150 of them, to be exact. When you get to the end of the time, you have in the book of Revelation, where all of the redeemed... All those who have ever been redeemed, all those who have claimed the name Jesus from the beginning to the end will gather together and they will sing the song of the redeemed to the Lamb of God. In the New Testament, you have the church in Colossians chapter 3 getting together to sing. First and Second Timothy, you have Paul giving Timothy instructions about singing. In Hebrews, you have a song. In John and Romans and Philippians, you read about the church getting together to sing. There are more songs in the Bible than we realize. Singing is unique to the Christian. Singing is unique to the Christian. Why? Because singing is a response to the understanding of how God has saved us. Even in church history, Martin Luther said these words, Neither should we ordain young men as preachers unless they have well exercised the gift of music. Now think about that for a second. Neither should we ordain young men to the ministry unless they have well exercised the gift of music. How many of you have enjoyed seeing Raphael up here singing this morning, right? Oh, he was nervous. His knees were locked. His hand was shaking. There was a little bit of fog on his glasses. And I am not being facetious. I tell you that that is actually true. And I stood there and I thought, oh, Lord, please do not let Raphael lock his knees and pass out. Lord, if ever you have intervened on Raphael's behalf, now is the moment to intervene, right? I came up and I, 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 some of the choir probably heard me. I said, Raphael, don't lock your knees on the platform ever again. He said, yes, sir, I won't do it again. I won't do it. He was sweating. We have a four o'clock meeting with the staff guys. I said, man, were you nervous today? He said, Pastor, I was so nervous. I don't care. I'll get up on the platform. I'll make a fool of myself as a skit. I don't care to preach. I've done all kinds of silly things. But when I have to sing in front of people, I get so nervous, right? How many of you can relate, right? I can relate with that, right? Man, but I'm thankful, man. Brother Raphael loves to sing. He has joy of the Lord in his heart. Michael sang. Derek sang. I love that our men love to sing, right? 
It just tells us something about our heart and our understand, the understanding of our heart's relationship with the Lord. Now, we love to sing. This is the response of saved people is that they enjoy singing. There's a song on their lips. There is a joy in their heart. And the joy in our heart, it resounds off of our lips. Do you realize at creation there was singing? In Job chapter 38, the Lord tells Job that the morning star was singing at the time in which creation was formed. Of course, we know at Christmas there's singing. Man, there's Mary, there's the angels, there's Zechariah, there's Simeon. All of them singing about the coming of the Lord, the arrival of the Messiah. We have the Psalms, even in Ephesians, there's Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. They're singing at creation. They were singing at Christmas. And even in the first century church, there was singing. I love what Adrian Rogers said. It. He said, the drama of redemptive history is actually a musical. Isn't that a great line? The drama of redemptive history is actually a musical. Man, why do we sing? We sing because of what God has done. So notice then verse 15, then or then Moses, then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord. So Moses as that chief worshiper, and hear me on this, is deflecting any attention away from himself. Moses, as that primary worshiper, as that first song leader, is directing any attention away from himself, and he's directing the attention where it rightfully belongs, and that is on the Lord. Notice the words. Israel sings this song unto. They sing unto the Lord. That's letter A. We sing to the Lord. When we gather together as God's people, we are not singing to each other. It's not the choir singing to the congregation. It's not the congregation singing to the choir. It's not the song leader singing to the church. And it's not the church singing to the song leader. It is all of us singing to the Lord. You don't sing for anyone else except God. He said, well, I, I don't sing very good, and somebody around me, well, they might point that out. Listen, you're not singing for that person around you. You're singing to the Lord. Worship is about God, not about you and me. See, when your heart is focused on the Lord, man, this is my song, and this is my song to the Lord, not to you. I mean, it doesn't matter to me if Brother Michael hears me miss every note, which I often do. It does not matter to me that he hears it and that he chuckles under his breath because I'm not singing to Brother Michael. I'm singing to the Lord. They sing to the Lord. The Lord is the center of all the singing. The Lord is the subject of every song. It's the Lord. We sing to the Lord. Let me give it just a word of admonition. I love all of those who sing in our choir, any of those who sing in our special groups. I love all those who sing as soloists, those who perform uh, musical numbers on 
the piano or, 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 or different instruments, that's wonderful. But make sure that when you sing or when you have a song or a special music or a solo number or you participate in the choir, make sure you're singing to the Lord, not to the congregation. Now that burden rests on the singer, not on the congregation. We sing to the Lord. When all of God's when all of God's saved people begin to sing, there's something very special that happens. That's what's happening here. Moses sings a song and then he leads all of Israel in the song. We sing to the Lord. Letter B. We sing of the Lord. We, we even say things like this, right? Well that's, well, that's church music. We say that, right? Well, that's church music. And what do we mean by that? What we mean is that song is unique in that it is not just to the Lord, but that song is unique in that it is about the Lord. Look at the words. Verse number, 50, or verse number 1 of chapter 15. And then the children of Israel sang this song unto the Lord and spake saying, I will sing unto the Lord for he hath triumphed gloriously. So Moses says, listen, I'm going to sing a song and, I, and it doesn't matter to me if it falls in line with your rhythms or if it's on point or note. I'm singing to the Lord and I am also singing of what the Lord has done. I'm singing about the Lord. And what has the Lord done? The Lord has triumphed gloriously. And that's in there twice. Verse number one and then verse number, verse number 21. The Lord has triumphed gloriously the horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea verse 21 for he hath triumphed gloriously the horse and the rider hath he thrown into the sea so they sing of what the lord has done it's what our choir did for us a moment ago forgiven forever they sing a song about how god has forgiven us not just temporarily, but how that God has paid the greatest sacrifice and price that was needed to redeem us to himself, not for a time or a season, but for all time, forgiven forever. That is a song about the Lord. And when we sing that song about the Lord, and when we sing that song to the Lord, well then, then we can be certain that our worship is pleasing before the Lord. They sing, in particular, they sing because God, verse number two, is my salvation or, or is my strength, my song, my salvation. And then verse three, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is a warrior. This is one of those places where God has given us an insight. He's given us an image to help us understand his character, to help us understand his nature. It teaches us something about himself. When you read Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Does this mean that God is literally a shepherd? And that God wears this robe and has a staff and has a little arch on it and he's always reaching out and he's pulling back sheep and lambs? No, it's not. God is, God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So how is God a spirit and a shepherd. Well, the Lord is my shepherd is an image. It's an understanding of how our God operates. You might understand the Lord as your father. 
The disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray. And what does he say? When you pray, pray this way. Our Father which art in heaven. Right? So some of us have very fond memories of our dads growing up. And so when we hear something like, well, the Lord is, God is like a father, then we think of something positive. There's, there's a positive connotation that's tied to that image. Some of us don't have a positive connotation that's tied to that image. And that's where the writers of the gospel would come along and they would say, if ye being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more should your father, which is in heaven, who is perfect, who there's no blemish, no fault, how much more shall he give to you that ask? Man, our father gives us everything we need. In fact, God withholds no good thing from us. Right? So even in that sense, we can understand God is a perfect father, even though ours were imperfect. Maybe you've read phrases like this in the Bible where God is a shepherd, the, the Lord is my shepherd, the Lord is my father. Maybe you've even heard it under, or understood it as, man, God is our king. Well, that brings a whole other connotation, doesn't it? And if God is a king and he has a throne, and you, you, you immediately there's, there's an image, there's a metaphor given about how God is, the way we approach God, how God is to be approached, how God is to be addressed, how God is to be dealt with, how if God is a king, you approach him in a certain way, and if God is your father and you're his child, well, then you approach him in a certain way, and if God is a shepherd, well, then you approach him in a certain way. Do you see how God is all that you would ever need at any season of your life? You say, well, which one of those is he? He's all of them. Yeah, but pastor, which one is he really? Yes, he's them all. And in this sense, God is a warrior. In what way? In that God was fighting for Israel. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is a warrior in that he is fighting for for us. This is what they sing about. In fact, that's the entire song. Then verse 4 down to verse 6. It is how God fought for them. Pharaoh's chariots and his host hath he cast into the sea. His chosen captains are also drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them and they sank to the bottom as a stone. That's a wonderful image there, isn't it? This is, this is how God went to war and fought for Israel. And this is the song that Israel sings about. So just a personal note or a side note then of application. Is the Lord your strength? Is the Lord your salvation? Is the Lord your song? What do you sing about when you are free to sing about whatever it is on your heart? What is the song that comes to your mind first? You sing about the Red Sea? You sing about God's power? You sing songs about God's love? You sing songs about God's grace? What is your personal anthem? What causes you to sing? You sing about the cross? You sing about the empty tomb? Sing now. Because we will sing later. All the redeemed sing. 
Israel sings to the Lord. God causes Israel to sing. It's really interesting. Last, last year, New York Times ran an article about the, about the power of music. And I'm quoting from the article right now. Here's what the article said. Music in itself is an expression of freedom. And it is in some parts of the world stronger than speeches. Music in itself is an expression of freedom. And it is in some parts of the world stronger than speeches. Think of all the political speeches you've ever heard in your life. You could probably name a, a, a sentence or two from a few of them, right? Four score, seven years ago, right? You could probably get that one, right? I, I, I had a dream, right? You, you can get that one. Right? We, could probably, we could probably name a tidbit of each speech. But for the whole of the speech, you don't remember, right? But if we started down a song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch. Oh, you got the rest of it, don't you? You ever had a song, you ever had a song get stuck in your head? How many have ever had that happen before, right? It's normally a cheesy song too, isn't it? I used Father Abraham two Sunday mornings ago. Right? said how that passage talks about how that Abraham was the father of all those who, who are of faith, right? And I used that in the, 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 the sermon that morning, and literally the whole afternoon, Father Abraham was stuck in my head, right? Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had five. How many remember this song? Let's do the motions. Let's all wake up. Let's do the motion. No, no, no. Now it's going to be stuck in your head the rest of the night. You're going to be laying there before you fall asleep. Right hand, right hand, right foot, left foot. Father Abraham had many sons, right? You're just going to wake up. You're going to be doing this, and your wife is going to go, what are you doing? It's pastor's fault, right? It's stuck in my head. You ever had a song that's stuck in your head? What's your personal anthem? And Israel's anthem, free to sing. They sing about what? They sing about what God has done. They sing to who? They sing to God. They sing to God. Number two, God causes Pharaoh to sink. God causes Israel to sing, and he causes Pharaoh to sink. I think this doesn't really hit us home the, the, the full weight that it would of the Israelites when they read this. The Egyptians were the most powerful, most powerful, formidable army in the world. Right? They, they were a superpower. And no one dare mess with Israel or, or with Egypt. No one dare mess with Egypt. No one dare mess with Pharaoh. The only, the only correlation that we could really have to an idea like this would be like Nazi Germany, right? Think of that, the formidable army of Nazi Germany. Maybe, maybe think Russia Cold War. Like they were just, they were that powerful. No one dare mess with them. No one even crossed them. Everyone does everything good. For them. Maybe the closest idea for us in, in our day, and even though they wouldn't be formidable, but they would be certainly, they would strike fear or terror or, or, or uh, 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 fear or terror cause, cause there to be uh, fear in our day would be the, the, the thought of like ISIS, right? You would think, man, that's, that's, there's a negative context. They're very formidable. Man, they're powerful. They're going to they're gonna accomplish evil. They're going to fulfill their plan. They're going to get their task done. Think SEAL Team 6, right? I mean, like, oh, I don't know who they are, but those are really bad dudes, right? That's the same idea here. 
It doesn't really, it doesn't hit us in the same way. But th here's the song. Pharaoh's chariots. Hang on, we have, we have tanks, but, but chariots were tanks to them, right? So this is like Hitler's tanks. God destroyed them like they were nothing, right? This is, this is the idea. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts, all of his generals and his captains, like all of his assassins, all of them, he cast them down into the sea. His chosen captains are also drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them and they sank into the bottom as a stone. Right? That's a wonderful image. You don't have to wonder what happened. Well, what happened to him? Was he just, did, did he swim to the top and was he like yelling at him? No. They sank to the bottom like a stone. That's what happened. Well, how do you know that's what happened? Because that's what the, the Bible says that's what happened, right? And then verse 7. And the, and, the, and the greatness of thine excellency, thou hast overthrown them. Look at verse 8. With the blast of thy nostrils, man, the floods, they stood upright. Okay, so, so look, look who's doing all this. They, they sank. Why? Because of verse 6. Because of thy right hand, O Lord. Because of thy right hand, twice, O Lord. Because of the greatness of thine excellency, verse number 7. They rose up against the Lord, but there was his wrath, thy wrath which consumed them like stubble, the blast of thy nostrils. Do you see, you see all those pronouns? That, who are they all attached to? They're all attached to the Lord because of what God did, because of how God moved, because of God's strong hand, because of God's mighty right hand, because of God's win, because of God's greatness, because of God's excellency. What, 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 who, brought all, who brought all of the fighting and the warring into the combat? It was God. So you see three things. You see the power of God. You see the power of God. Who did all of this to the most powerful army in the world? God did. So Moses says, God is my strength. God is my, my song. God is my salvation. The power of God. Notice number two, the power of man. Look at verse number nine. So the enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. And my lust shall be satisfied upon them. And I will draw my sword. And now you have a, you have a very stark contrast, don't you? It, it, it's God and his power and causing the Red Sea to part and the children of Israel to, cross, to walk across on dry land, dry land. And then you have Pharaoh and his power and his might. So what can Pharaoh do to God? Nothing. Nothing. So, so much so that Pharaoh becomes like a rock that sinks to the bottom of the pool when it's thrown into the water. He has no weight, significance, or might when it comes to the power of God. You see the power of God, the power of man. Number three, you see, or letter C rather, you see the patience of God. That's verse 10. For thou didst blow with thy wind, the sea covered them, they sank as lead in thy mighty waters. So who is like thee, O Lord? Do you remember Pharaoh's question when all of this started? Moses and Aaron show up, let my people go. And do you remember Pharaoh's question? I think it was like chapter two or chapter three. Do you remember Pharaoh's question? Who is the Lord that I should serve him? Oh, Pharaoh knows now who the Lord is, doesn't he? Oh, Pharaoh has learned, and now Moses reiterating what Pharaoh told him, who is the Lord that I should serve him? And here's Pharaoh, who, or here's Moses. Who is like our God? Oh, there's no one like our God. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, 
doing wonders. You see the power of God, the power of man, the patience of man. Last point, all right? Last point. Verse 14, you see God causes the victory to be secure. God causes the victory to be secure. Look at verse 14. The people shall hear and be afraid, and sorrow shall take hold of the inhabitants of Palestine. And the dukes of Edom, they shall be amazed. And the mighty men of Moab, trembling, shall take hold upon them. And all the inhabitants of Canaan shall melt away. Look at verse 16. Fear and dread shall fall upon them. By the greatness of thine arm, they shall be still as a stone till thy people pass over, O Lord. Till the people pass over, which thou hast purposed. So the most powerful empire that history had known at that time was just destroyed. They were laid waste. They were like a rock floating at the bottom of the pool. And all of the world watched it happen. And they didn't watch it play out on Twitter, right? They, like, they, they saw it take place. And now what would they do? They would fear. The great, wealthy, powerful, mighty army of Egypt and Pharaoh, they were made subservient to the God of Israel. They were made subservient to the God of slaves. And now, all of a sudden, these Israelites, these slaves, were making their way across to Canaan land. And so what happens in the text? Oh, all those nations, when they hear, what happens? Fear and trembling. In fact, if you want to see how that plays out, read the book of Joshua, right? Read the book of Joshua. And what happens in the book of Joshua? When the Israelites are obedient to the Lord, the nations tremble. The nations don't stand a chance. All the nations hide when the Israelites are obedient to the Lord. But as soon as the Israelites get cocky, what happens? As soon as the Israelites start thinking, this is about us and our strength. And look, this is a little city. We don't need to take all the men up. God, you don't know what you're talking about. Step to the side and let us take our armies up. We'll handle this. And then what happens? Well, as soon as it's the power of man, uh, that sinks to the bottom of the pool. But when they're operating in the power of God, what happens? As soon as those enemy armies see the Ark of the Covenant coming, what do they do? They run and they hide. This is why they wanted the Ark of the Covenant for themselves. They thought it was like a Lucky's rabbit's foot. Well, if we have that, well, then they don't have anything. But that was a signal, a sign of the presence of God. This is what they're singing about. They're singing about this great truth. And, and, and here's the truth. If God be for us, who can be against us? Hey, if God is for you, then your future is secure. What do you have to fear? What do you have to fear about today? What do you have to fear about tomorrow? What do you have to fear about the rest of the week? What do you have to fear? If God is for you, then what do we have to fear? What do I have to fear that 10,000 years from now would cause there to be any consternation in my heart or life? 
Like, what do you have to fear that is even going to be on your radar 10,000 years from now? Like, I could die. I could get sick. But think about this. Does that matter 10,000 years from now? No. No, it doesn't matter at all. 10,000 years from now, you got sick, won't even be on your radar. And yet we fear that so much right now. This is a wonderful argument in the New Testament. One of the most wonderful arguments in the New Testament is, if God is for us, and we know that he is because he sent Jesus to down the cross for us, so if God is for us, well then actually who or what could stand against us? What's impossible to us when God is with us? Well, there's nothing impossible to God, and if God is with me, then what's impossible to me? Nothing. You think about the worst things that could happen to you. What are they? Sick. You die. Something could happen to Amanda. Like, I'll, I'll be honest with you. If something happened to Amanda, you're going to have to help me, okay? Now, life is going to go upside down for a little while. If something happened to her, she is, a, she is a godsend to me. Whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing. But if you, find a, if you find a good wife, you found a great thing, okay? And she is a great wife. Her price is far above rubies. She, she sent me a text this past week. She says, Ezekiel is a really weird book. That's like, that's how, that's how we flirt together back and forth, Right? I'm like, oh, yes, she's godly. She's reading her Bible. She's drinking coffee. Man, I want to kiss her face right now, right? She's a wonderful gift to me. If something happened to her, I'd go upside down for a little while. But you know what? In the end, I'm going to spend eternity with her and God. Because I know that she loves Jesus. She loves Jesus more than she loves me. She's put her faith and trust in Jesus. And one day when she leaves this earth, she'll step across the glory land and she will see Jesus. And then one day I'll leave this earth and I'll step across glory land and then I'll see Jesus. And then we'll spend eternity together praising Jesus who we both love. What, what could really happen to you that's, that would cause you to fear if God is for you? You think about the parents in the room. What if something happened to my children? Right? That, the, some of our greatest fears are tied up in what would happen to my children. All four of my children have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. They've confessed Christ as Lord. So 10,000 years from now, do you know what the four of them and me and their mom will be doing? We'll be praising Jesus in the presence of God? What if I lost all of my money? Oh, what if I lose all my money? When I married Amanda, I didn't have any money, right? I was making $12,000 a year before taxes when I married that girl, right? Oh, I, I duped her, I tricked her into marrying me, right? We, we were literally, we would literally drink the cheap version of Coke. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like Dr. Thunder, right? How many of you are like, you know Dr. Thunder, right? That was like 25, a can of Dr. Thunder was like 25 cents back in the day, right? 
We would have to share a can of Dr. Thunder. And I would, okay, you get a drink of it. Okay, now I get a drink of it, right? I had no money. What if you lose all your money? Well, then what will happen to you? Is it going to matter in 10,000 years from now? No. It won't matter at all. What can happen to you that God can't take care of? That's their song. Their song is the kings of Canaan, they will tremble in fear because of how God just defeated Pharaoh. Be listen, because of what God has done for me in the past, I know that all that God has for me in the future is secure. It is secure. And sometimes the Israelites are really good in exercising their faith and believing God. And sometimes they're really bad at exercising their faith and believing God. And sometimes we're really good at exercising our faith and believing God. And sometimes we're really bad at it, aren't we? But so long as God sits on his throne, oh, we have a song to sing, don't we? God causes Israel to sing. God causes Pharaoh to sink. And because of this, we know our victory is secure in God. If the Lord is for us, who can be against us? If God is working for me, then who or what could possibly be working against me that's going to matter in 10,000 years from now?